Ah, yes, you're listening to Life 101, where we live in faith every day. This is Line Upon Line, where we study God's Word line by line. And I'm your host, Pastor Adrian. Verses 9 and 10 says, Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? And then he answers, Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little and there a little. So if you're serious about your walk with God and you want to understand true doctrine, it's time to get your Bible and follow along as we study God's Word. It's time to be weaned from the milk. Get your Bible, tell a friend, tell your pastor about this study, and let's get into God's Word line upon line. chapter 19 and we made it to verse 10 we're going to continue this evening and God willing we'll finish chapter 19 beginning in verse 11 uh, let's open with a quick word of prayer Heavenly Father we come before you and just want to thank you again Lord uh, so much for this uh, wonderful gift that you've given to us in the scripture in the book of Revelation the understanding that we have from just digging into it week after week We pray, Father, that you'll continue to open the scripture up to us to bless our understanding. Help us, Father, not to walk in darkness uh, the way those in this world are in darkness, but help us rather, Father, to walk in the light of the glorious word of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father. We ask for this blessing now in his name. Amen. So we, as I mentioned, we're in chapter 19. Let's uh, just go back to to verse 1 just for context. We'll read through to uh, verse 10. And then we'll begin tonight with uh, chapter or verse 11 uh, to pick up where we were last week. And last week we really didn't have time for the um, uh, after session, the the chat that we have afterwards. So we both, Pastor Murray and I, uh, will be available this evening. So hopefully we'll have a lot of questions and maybe even some questions from last week as well. So we'll go back to uh, verse 1. And he says, after these things, after the fall, we read in uh, chapters 17 and 18 where we saw the fall of Babylon both on the spiritual side as well as the commercial and the political side and then uh, John writes after these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven or or many not necessarily not human beings but people souls uh, in heaven saying hallelujah salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God for true and righteous are his judgments And that is just absolutely critical for us to understand that our God is a God of righteousness and judgment. And his judgment is true and righteous. For he has judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her porneia, with her sexual immorality, and has avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Hallelujah. And and the smoke rose... And her smoke rose, sorry, let me just uh, fix that so I can gather all of that. Give me a second here. And her smoke rose up forever and ever, and the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen, hallelujah. And a voice came out of the throne, saying, 
Praise our God, all you his saints, all you his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And again, we touched on this last week, and I heard, or elaborated on it last week, and I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he said unto me, Right blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. So John is just so overwhelmed by this vision and what he's seeing and this angel is bringing all of this to him that he fell at his feet to worship the angel. And the angel said unto him, Do not do that. See you do it not. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren and have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And we showed last week that all the prophets have testified to Christ. And when Christ was resurrected, he opened all the prophets to teach his disciples what all the prophets taught of him, beginning at Moses and through all of the, the writings. And so this uh, testimony of Jesus, that's what this final chapter of humankind is going to be all about. What, what is your position? with respect to Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ is the Almighty. He is God. He is our Creator. And the devil is doing all he can to stamp this knowledge out. And, and God is looking for faithful witnesses. And that's what, that's what this study is all about, to understand that this is all about faithfully testifying, being faithful witnesses to the reality of the identity of Jesus Christ. And so the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And beginning now in verse 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. So this is really the moment we've all been waiting for, is the return of Jesus Christ. And now John is saying, this is, this is what I saw. Heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true as opposed to someone else on a white horse horse who is false and a deceiver and so many uh, i shouldn't say many but i have heard people claim in revelation 6 that that white horse and the rider on that white horse in revelation 6 with the first seal that that is jesus christ and then the way john writes here is he's creating a contrast between the rider of this white horse and the rider of the white horse that we saw in Revelation 6. So we should not be confused. In Matthew 24, Christ beseeched us not to be deceived. And so to think that this white horse in the first seal is Christ is, is total deception. The first five seals are the operation of the devil. The devil coming to his full uh, fruition. And it's not until the sixth seal that God acts. And here we are in the sixth seal when, when we see the cosmic signs and mankind has lost control and now God is acting. So the first five seals are, are the operation of the devil and, and this first white horse with that rider is a servant of the devil. Here we see this one, this rider of the white horse is called faithful and true. There's a contrast. This one is called faithful and true and this one, this writer, in righteousness, he does judge and make war. So he is going to make war. The, the first horse, if we're the first rider on the horse, we see in Revelation 6, uh, verse 2, I saw and behold a white horse. He doesn't say it comes from heaven. He's just seeing this white horse. And he that sat upon him had a bow. Right here, Christ, we're going to see, has a sword. But this rider has a bow. And a crown was given unto him, one crown. We're going to see Christ has many crowns. But a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. 
and the red horse comes out right after him. And so there's all of this violence and war. But in contrast to Christ, none of this is done in righteousness. This is all done in wickedness and deception. Well, Christ is going to make war, but he makes war in righteousness. Continuing in, in Revelation 19, his eyes were as a flame of fire. And I just, I just find this so amazing that the wicked are going to be facing Christ and he is furious. His anger is fierce. And that's what we, we need to, we need to be very familiar with the Christ of the Bible. The Christ who's returning and his eyes are as a flame of fire he is furious and so continuing here he says his eyes are as a flame of fire um, and he had on his head many crowns and he had a name written which no man knew but he himself and he was clothed with a vesture so just that name that identity and then we should just maybe spend a, a bit of time here because he says that he not only are his eyes as a flame of fire, but as I mentioned earlier, the, the first rider had one crown. Here, Christ has many crowns. And, and why would he have many crowns? Well, the reason he has many crowns is what we read in Revelation 18, that the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of Christ. So Christ has conquered uh, this world. And, and these, these kingdoms are now his. And all, all the crowns of all these kingdoms now belong to Christ. And so this is why he has many crowns. And it says here, on his head were many crowns. And this is, again, we have to be careful here, right? This is, this is all symbolic language. It's not that he's literally having all these crowns on his, he's going to have all these crowns on his head. Uh, these are symbols. These are signs. And so all the crowns of all the kingdoms of the world, he inherits them all. And so he is now the rightful ruler of all of the kingdoms of the earth. So he goes on to say here, uh, he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. So he has this identity of who he is, and it's not shared with anybody. This is something that he knows, and I'm not sure fully, maybe we can talk about that in the chat. Uh, what are the implications of this? But there's something about his identity that only he knows. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And this blood, uh, we, some people believe it's his own blood because he was sacrificed, but uh, I think given the context here that he's going to be treading out the wine press, uh, there's going to be so much blood of the wicked that is going to splash on him. And so that's, uh, that's where the blood is coming from. And his name is called the word of god that's who he is so everything that we are studying here in the scriptures this is who he is and everything that's in the scriptures this is what he fulfills and so he is the word of god the, the, the logos now where it says here uh, that on his head were many crowns uh, again we can just go back to when we were studying luke and the devil after this uh, 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness, at the end of this, the devil took him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment in time. So there's a period of time, uh, I believe it is this in this end time, uh, where the devil has full control over the whole earth. And he's offering this to Christ. And this is what Christ turned down. And this is what Christ refused because of his love for Israel and for us who are grafted into Israel. And he was willing to sacrifice himself, to, to be slain, to be sacrificed in order to redeem his wife. And he is going to inherit all of these kingdoms, but he's not, he didn't take the easy way out. And that's what Satan was saying, like, work with me and you'll have all of these kingdoms. So he, he refused that. And so the devil said, all this power will I give you and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me and to whomsoever I will give it. So he's going to give it to somebody. And Revelation shows us that there is this beast power that is going to inherit all of this glory and all of this wealth and all of this power because the devil gives him his power. The devil actually gives his throne, his seat to this beast, this human being 
to represent him on the earth in the end time. And this is what Christ refused. Instead, choosing to be sacrificed so that he could inherit these kingdoms righteously from, from God the Father and crush the beast power. And that's what we're witnessing now. And so beginning, uh, continuing in verse 14 of Revelation, and the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses. So this angelic host, he's the Lord of hosts. And so this angelic host, when he's returning in power and he's coming with the clouds and he's coming with glory, a part of his glory is this angelic host, this army of angels that is following him also upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, which again is symbolic of righteousness, white and clean. And out of his mouth goes a sharp two-edged sword. And so there's this sharp two-edged sword that goes out of his mouth that with it he should smite the nations. So these nations that are resistant, that are rebellious, that are wicked, that are oppressing mankind, he is going to come forth on this white horse with these crowns upon his head and uh, with a sharp sword that he's going to smite the nations. And the, the sharp sword comes out of his mouth. Again, this is symbolic language. So it's not that he's, you know, he's going to be returning and there's going to be a sword coming out of his mouth. It's symbolic. And this sharp sword is the word of God. And he is called the word of God. And he is going to smite the nations with the word of God. So all of the judgments, all of the prophecies, all of the promises that God has made to Israel about how he's going to handle these nations, he's going to smite the nations with the fulfillment of the word of God. And not only that, he shall rule them with a rod of iron. So he is going to have rulership over them. And this also shows us that he's not going to uh, completely destroy all of the nations. The armies, yes, the armies that are going to gather and fight against him, he's going to crush those armies and the kings of these nations. But the populations of these nations are, are, that, that haven't gone to war with him, uh, many of them will survive, and we'll see this next week, God willing, when we study uh, chapter 20, many of them will survive into the millennium. And he's going to rule over these nations in the millennium, but the scripture tells us he's going to rule over them with a rod of iron. Jesus Christ is an intolerant person. You know, we just think tolerance is just such a high virtue. Oh, everybody's got to be tolerant, and it's loving to be tolerant. No, it is not loving to be tolerant. Jesus Christ is intolerant, and he's going to rule with the intolerance of a rod of iron. And we also will share this rulership with him. And so those of us who are faithful in Christ, we are intolerant. We do not tolerate sin. In fact, he rebukes uh, the churches. I believe it's uh, Pergamus and Thyatira. He rebukes them. Uh, for their tolerance of, of false doctrine and their tolerance of sexual immorality. And he says he has this against them. He's going to act against them if they don't sort out this tolerance that they have. And the Corinthians, Paul had to upbraid the Corinthians because they were just so tolerant of sexual immorality in their congregation. And, and Paul says, like, I've judged this matter already. And so God is intolerant. And we're, we're in an, uh, a society now that it's sophisticated to be tolerant. But hidden behind this tolerance is a hatred for Christ. And so they're just so tolerant to try to destroy the moral, uh, moral fabric of society so that once they've brought that down, they can unleash their hatred for Christ. So we shouldn't fall into this uh, deception of, of tolerance. Christ is intolerant. We must be intolerant. We must repent and work this sin out of our lives so that we can then be with Christ and, and judge sin. So he's going to rule in the millennium with no tolerance for evil, with a rod of iron. And he shall tread the winepress of the fierceness. He shall tread the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. So God is furious, and he is coming, the, the, the winepress, 
uh, the, the grapes picturing the, the harvest of mankind. The, the, the wheat is the, the first fruits harvest, but the grapes represent mankind. And, and they're going to be harvested and crushed for their wickedness. And, and Christ is going to do this personally. And it's going to represent the wrath of Almighty God. And, and God now, uh, this, this, this ruling uh, with zero tolerance for, wicked, for wickedness, was prophesied uh, by King David in Psalms, where he writes, Ask of me, this is the Father speaking to Christ, and I shall give you the heathen for your inheritance. So crown him with many crowns. And all of these kingdoms of the heathen, Christ is going to inherit them. Ask of me and I shall give you the heathen, that is the, the uh, non-Israelite nations, for your inheritance. And the uttermost parts of the earth for your possession. Everything is going to come under the, the, the purview of Christ. Everything is going to come under his control to the uttermost parts of the earth. Every kingdom shall be his. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord. You shall break them with a rod of iron. So there is this arrogance that is in these nations. Equity for the meek of the earth. Shall he slay the wicked? God is finally acting. And I'm just seeing that my uh, internet connection is looking like it's giving me a little bit of trouble. So I just want to check and make sure that I am uh, coming across clearly. Let me just uh, check here. I'll assume that I'm okay until I hear back here. Um, so with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Continuing in Revelation. And he has on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So all the kings are going to come under him. And he's going to inherit all these kingdoms. And then he's going to set up us as kings. And he's going to be over all of us. He truly is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now, this is going right back to Deuteronomy, where in verse 17 of chapter 10, the Lord your God is a God of gods and Lord of Lords. So this is, this is the, the single identity of God. He is the Word of God. And so we can go from the, the uh, Torah all the way to Revelation. And there's just this consistency in the Word of God. And here we see this consistency. Revelation is drawing on the identity of God right from the, the Torah in Deuteronomy. That he's a God of gods and Lord of lords. A great God, a mighty and a terrible, which regards not persons, nor takes rewards. And that's something we need to understand about God. He is not a respecter of persons. We can't believe that, you know, because I'm Adrian or you're who you are, uh, God is somehow going to judge differently with us than he will with others. No, he's no respecter of persons. And so the reason that we are able to stand before him is not because of our righteousness, but because we have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. We have been cleansed in the blood of the Lamb. And, and just as in the original Passover, in this end time, because of the blood of the Lamb, the wrath of God will pass over us. And anybody who has not washed their sins in the blood of the Lamb will face the wrath of God. And he's no respecter of persons. And he, takes, he, he doesn't take reward. So he cannot be bribed. And I saw, continuing in Revelation 19, and I saw an angel standing in the sun. And he cried with a loud voice saying, To all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together for the, unto the supper of the great God. So there is this supper, there is this meal that God is preparing, but he's preparing it for the fowls of the air. So they're going, he's saying, come and, and, and feast. So this, this fall harvest uh, is going to be a feast for the wicked. Uh, this, uh, so the, I shouldn't say fall harvest here, but this uh, harvest of the wicked is going to be a feast 
uh, for the fowls of the air. Come and gather yourself together unto the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings. So these kings that have come to battle against God, all of them are going to be slaughtered. And the birds of the air can come and eat the flesh of kings, and the flesh of captains, these mighty men that seemed invincible, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. Jesus Christ is furious, and he is coming with fierce anger, and he's going to put down all of this opposition, and there's going to be a lot of blood everywhere. This is the God we serve. This is the God of love, and this is an act of love. And we, we have to orient ourselves and be familiar with this God of revelation, because this is God, and this is what he's coming to do. And, and the, the holy angels say, even so, amen. Hallelujah. You are righteous, God, and your judgments are righteous. And we as the saints need to have this same orientation, this same perspective. And he says here in Isaiah 24, uh, Therefore has the curse devoured the earth. So this is what's happened. The curse has devoured the earth. And they that dwell therein. And again, that, that phrasing, that language that we see in Revelation is borrowed here from Isaiah, that there's, there, there are these people who dwell in the earth, and they're quite comfortable, thank you very much, and they're antichristic. They're against Christ, and they're quite comfortable dwelling in the earth, being established in the earth, and Christ is coming to uproot them. This is the time of trial for them that dwell, dwell upon the earth, that the Philadelphians and the faithful saints, we are protected. We, the, the wrath of God passes over us, and we don't have to face this wrath. But those that dwell in the earth have to face it. They have to face this curse. And they that dwell therein are desolate. This is the hour of trial on them. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are burned and few men left. So there will be men left that will go over into the millennium and the earth will be repopulated from these men. So it's, it's not a complete, utter uh, wiping out of mankind. Uh, but the earth is burnt, and there's going to be wholesale slaughter as God deals with the wicked and all those that have taken the mark of the beast. But there are going to be some men left. The new wine mourns, the vine languishes, all the merry-hearted do sigh. So there was a time when these people were merry-hearted, you know, through the great tribulation. And the saints were full of sorrow, but they were merry-hearted, and now the tables have turned. Now the saints are full of joy, and the merry-hearted sigh. Ezekiel says, And you, son of man, thus says the Lord God, Speak unto every feathered fowl, and to every beast of the field. So it's not just the fowl now, it's also the beasts of the field. Assemble yourselves, and come, and gather yourselves on every side to my sacrifice, that I do sacrifice for you. So God is not only he's going to dry up the Euphrates and the kings of the east are going to come uh, to, to Armageddon to have this great battle, but God is also inviting the fowls of the air and the beasts of the field to come and gather themselves as well. The, the victory is that assured, that God is already, already inviting the, the vultures and the eagles and the beasts of the field to come and get ready for a massive feast, to feast on the flesh of the wicked. Assemble yourselves and come and gather yourselves on every side to my sacrifice that I do sacrifice for you, even a great sacrifice upon the mountains of Israel, that you may eat flesh and drink blood. Continuing in Revelation 19, 19, And I saw the beast. So now John is telling us, hey, this is what I saw. I saw the beast and the kings of the earth that are in collusion with the beast. So the whole earth, all these different governments have all agreed to be together with the beast. And so John now sees the beast, this, this human being, that is the, the political power, and the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. So they have some kind of doctrine, some kind of ideology that gives them one mind. They are all in agreement together. And because of this doctrine or ideology that they share, 
they don't know who Christ is. They believe Christ is the enemy. They believe, they believe they're righteous and Christ is evil. And so they've been able to agree together that they need to assemble, they need to marshal all of their force and energy, and they need to fight against Christ and his, his, his armies. Now, it's interesting in Matthew, uh, just to see this deception of the devil, in Matthew 27, where the Jews were saying to each other, saying, Sir, we remember, this, this, they're speaking of Jesus Christ, we remember that deceiver said, while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Like, can you believe this? Christ, the Creator, comes to earth in incarnate form. And he's coming to redeem Israel. He's coming to redeem Judah. He's coming to redeem Israel. And they don't recognize him. They, they don't know who he is. They see him as an enemy. They see him as their enemy. And they actually refer to him as that deceiver. That's how powerful the devil is. And that's why Christ just keeps warning us, don't be deceived. Because many, many, many are going to be deceived. There's going to be a great apostasy. Many, the, the love of many is going to wax cold. And so when it says here that the, uh, the beast and all the kings of the earth and the armies and their armies gather together to make war against him, you're either on one side or the other. You're either with Christ or against him. And it looks like most of mankind is going to be against Christ. And that's, that's what we're living through now. We're just seeing all the different nations of the world changing and, and becoming increasingly antichristic. Well, we haven't seen anything yet. The whole world is going to be in alignment with the beast and, and take on the mark of the beast and be willing to fight for the beast against Christ. And, and that's where we saw here in Psalms 2, again, this, this prophecy that the kings of the earth set themselves. They're all in agreement. They set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together. They're, they're planning and scheming and strategizing together. They have one mind against the Lord and against his anointed. So it's, it's not just Christ they're against. They're actually against God himself. And, and they're, they're against him saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast their cords from us, going all the way back to, Bab to Babylon and, and Nimrod, who, who was setting up this tower and this civilization to, to break the, the, uh, the uh, rulership of God. And so they want to they destroy this relationship between Christ and, and the Father and, and, and destroy their rulership over the earth so that they can make a name for themselves. But he that sits in the heavens shall laugh. It's, it's ridiculous. These, these little ants who are trying to play God. God will just laugh. And he shall have them in derision. These powerful people with their powerful glorious armies are going to be in confusion. Again, just what we saw in Nim, with Nimrod and the original Babylon. But God put them in confusion. This is, this is God we're dealing with. He's going to put them in derision. Then shall he speak unto, the, unto them in his wrath. These human beings that are made in his image and likeness, he's going to speak to them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. God is angry. And, and that's, you know, we, as we look around us, are we angry? Do we see the evil? Do we sigh and cry for the evil that's going on around us? Or are we kind of used to it? Are we comfortable with it? Because we need to be aligned with Christ. And he's going to vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. So he's going he's to laugh. God is establishing Christ. And Christ will be in Zion. And as much as they hate Zion, and they hate the plan of God, and they hate the people of God, nothing can stop God's counsel. God is going to fulfill everything that he, pro he prophesied. Now look at this prophecy in Joel, in Joel 3, beginning in verse 1, he says, For behold, in those days, pointing to the last days, and in that time, when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem. So, so it's all going to be, and Christ tells us, that armies are going to surround Jerusalem. 
and going to take and Zechariah uh, 12 and 14 show us that Jerusalem is going to be taken captive in the end time. So God says, in those days and in that time when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat. And so we saw earlier that the river Euphrates is going to dry up and all these armies are going to gather in, in this uh, valley. And I will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. So these people, whatever doctrine or ideology they have, they hate Israel. And they have scattered the people of God, the, the people of Israel, among all nations. They've taken them captive, they've sold them into slavery, and they've divided up the land. It's God's land that he promised to Abraham, and promised to Abraham's seed. But the seed of the, of the devil, the seed of the serpent, has come in and taken that land, because he will be like the Most High. And he wants that land for his children. And so he's divided it up among his nations. And, and these nations have been hostile uh, to God's people of Israel. But God says he's going to plead with them. He's going to gather them all together, and he's going to plead with them there for his people. Uh, he's going to be pleading with them because they have such a hatred for God's people. And they have cast lots for my people. So they've just treated God's people like, like merchandise, like it's nothing. And have given a boy for a prostitute, for a harlot and sold a girl for wine. So they just have, there's no value, there's no value to human life. They're the great ones. And if you're not part of their inner circle, their tribe, you're nothing. And, and the, the people of Judah particularly, there's a vile hatred for them, and they're gathering the young boys and selling them for prostitutes, taking the young girls and selling them as prostitutes as well. And this is part of, it's not just slavery, it's, it's sexual slavery that they might drink. Yes, and what have you to do with me, O Tyre and Zidon? So this is, again, this is Middle East, it's an area of Lebanon, and all the coasts of Palestine. So all this Palestinian conflict, it's, it's prophesied in the end time. And so God is saying to them, what have you to do with me? So they have been claiming to represent God. And God's just washing his hands of them, saying, what do you have to do with me? O Tyre and Zidon, and all the coasts of Palestine, your, your claims notwithstanding, you have nothing to do with me. Will you render me a recompense? And if you recompense me swiftly and speedily, will I return your recompense upon your own head? So there's an issue of judgment here, that these people are upset with God's judgment for Israel and his promises to Israel. And they are, they are judging God as unrighteous for doing this. And they're going to punish now uh, Israel for being the chosen people. And God's saying, you know what? I'm going to turn that back on you. It's going to come upon your own head swiftly and speedily. Will I return your recompense or your judgments upon your own head? Why? Because you've taken my silver and my gold. So this is, what God, this is how God sees Jerusalem that this is his, and the silver and gold there are his, but you've taken them, my silver and my gold. So you, you believed you had the right to go in and take them, and you've carried into your temples my goodly pleasant things. So you've got some other kind of religion that you believe you can establish your temples and take God's things, his pleasant things, and put them in your temple to establish your credibility. And God says, no. You've taken my silver and my gold and, carry, and have carried into your temples my goodly pleasant things. The children also of Judah and the children of Jerusalem have you sold unto the Grecians, that you might remove them far from their border. So this, he says to these Palestinians, what have I to do with you? But he knows their agenda is to remove the Jews far from their border that they have nothing to do with Jerusalem, they have nothing to do with Judah, it's ours, get out of here, we'll sell you all over the world to the Grecians, wherever they are, and uh, you're not going to be in the land, it's ours. So this is what you've done. And God says, behold, 
I will raise them out of the place where you have sold them. So this again is speaking of the second exodus. That God is going to act. There's going to be a second Passover. There's going to be a second exodus. He's going to gather all his people from the ends of the earth. I will raise them out of the place where you have sold them and will return your recompense upon your own head. So it looks like they're in power. It looks like their judgments are going to stand. Christ is then going to act and he's going to reverse it all. And he's going to put things right according to the promise that he made to Abraham. And I will return your recompense upon your own head. And I will sell your sons and your daughters. I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the children of Judah. And they shall sell them to the Sabaeans, to a people far off, for the Lord has spoken it. So this is God's righteous judgment, that if you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. Whatever your recompense is, it's going to come back on your own head. And so the, the wickedness that you've done you're going to experience it. And so this whole controversy around Judah, Zechariah tells us that God is going to act mightily in the name of, of Judah to, to reestablish Judah and to, to uh, cast the bonds off Judah and, and to free Judah. And so then he says here, proclaim you this among the Gentiles. Tell the Gentiles this. Prepare war. Wake up the mighty man let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. So, so God is like, okay, let's, let's finish this. Everybody, all, all of you who think you have your way, prepare for war. Gather all your mighty men. Let's go. And let, let's resolve this once and for all. He says here, very interesting. He says, beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. So this is the exact opposite of the prophecy in Isaiah 2, which is uh, the UN has this uh, image, uh, this statue in front of their building, uh, where the prophecy is a pruning hook, which are uh, for the tree. This war is going to be so intense that the Joel is telling them, look, you better get your plowshares and, and beat them into swords. And get all your pruning hooks and beat them into spears because you're going to need everything you've got. And he says, let the weak say, I am strong. And Zechariah tells us that God is going to strengthen Judah against the Gentiles. Assemble yourselves and come, all you heathen, all of you, all of you that are following the beast. And gather yourselves together round about. There cause my mighty ones to come down, O Lord. Let the heathen be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there will I sit to judge all the nations round about. So God certainly is going to finally act and judge all these heathen nations. He says, put you in the sickle. This is the, the harvest of mankind. So there's this uh, first fruits harvest of, of the saints. But then there's this harvest of the wicked as well. Put you in the sickle. For the harvest is ripe. Come get you down, for the press is full. So the wicked, the, the saints, we are represented by wheat. The wicked are represented by grapes. And, and they're just ripe. They're just, their wickedness is ripe. And so he says, put you in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come get you down, for the press is full. The vats overflow for their wickedness is great. And that's again where we saw that Christ is going to personally tread on the wicked. And, and he's going to crush them in this wine press. And all the, the grape juice here that we see dripping out of this that is going to make wine, this is going to be blood. This is, this is mankind being crushed for their wickedness. And, and the blood is going to be flowing. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. So it's not a few. You know, the whole world has gone, on, uh, gone after the beast. And he has assembled this massive army and all the kings together with him have one mind. And it's multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. And notice Joel says, this is again the sixth seal. This is when we know that it's Christ acting. Prior to this, it's mankind under the influence of the devil. 
first five seals. Now with the sixth seal, we, the sun and moon are darkened. We know that God is acting. The sun and moon, the sun and the moon shall be darkened, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. Exactly what Jesus Christ told us to look for in Matthew 24. Exactly what we see in Revelation 6. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion. So all of this that we see with the Palestinians and Tyre and Zidon, it's all in the context of the, of the last days. It's all in the context of this, this coming, the opening of the sixth seal and Christ finally acting. And so the Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. He is angry and he is coming to reestablish Jerusalem. From, take it from the wicked who think it's theirs. And the heavens and the earth shall shake, but the Lord will be the hope of his people. The exact same prophecy we see in Zechariah. But the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. So all of this controversy, all these armies surrounding Jerusalem, the controversy is all about the identity of Israel. And who are they to say they, are, they have the promises? Who are they to say they are the covenant people? And so there's this incredible hatred of the devil against the covenant people and this uh, usurpation of Jerusalem from the wicked. And all of this, God is finally acting to put an end to it. And he will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel as we saw in, see in Zechariah 12. So shall you know that I am the Lord, your God dwelling in Zion. So, so Judah will finally recognize Jesus Christ as their God. So shall you know that I am the Lord, your God dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain, not somebody else's, despite their claims to the contrary. And so God is going to establish Zion. Then shall Jerusalem be holy, not before and all of the pretense that we see and the false prophet and the beast, and they're all centered on Jerusalem, it's going to be holy. Then shall Jerusalem be holy, and there shall no strangers pass through her anymore. It's over. So in other words, strangers are going to be passing through her. The abomination of desolation is going to be set up. They're going to have control over Jerusalem. And, and they're going to be, Satan wants to be like the Most High. And then God is going to act, and that will never happen again. Strangers will no more. People who believe that they have a right to Jerusalem, and they have no right. They're not part of the covenant people. That's going to, God is going to put a stop to that. And the beast was taken, so uh, going back to Revelation 19, verse 20. So that was Joel we were reading. And the beast was taken, so this whoever this human being is, the, the scriptures refer to as the beast. The beast was taken. And with him, the false prophet. So there's also that false prophet that wrought miracles before him. So this religious prophet, false teacher, has been pointing the world to worship the beast. And now Christ is acting. And the beast was taken. And with him, the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast. And again, Christ just keeps emphasizing to us, do not be deceived, do not be deceived, do not be deceived. And despite this, many are going to be deceived. Many of God's people, there's going to be a great apostasy. And, and many, the, the love of many will wax cold. And there's going to be many false prophets, many false teachers. And so we just have to work really, really hard to be faithful and true in teaching the word of God in learning the word of God, in loving one another, and not allowing ourselves to be deceived, to fight against this. This is the, the, the blessing of, of Revelation. Blessed is he that reads, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things that are written therein. Because if we do this, as long as we don't stray from this, we will, not be, we will see very clearly. We will not be deceived. It's going to be so crystal clear to us, we will be puzzled as to how anybody could be deceived. But deception comes from the devil when he can get us away from the word of God. We stop studying, we get caught up with this world's entertainment, we start reading other things and believing in those. Uh, no, we, got, we have to stick to the word of God. 
And so all these that are deceived with him, and they received the mark of the beast, and then that worshipped his image, these both, that's the beast and the false prophet, were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. That's the end. And this is what Christ wants us to see. This is why he, he gives us this, so that we can see the things that which must shortly come to pass. So we get to see the whole story. So we're not going to give up. We're going to endure to the end because we know how it ends. And here in Isaiah, uh, speaking of this lake of fire, he says for Tophet, and this was a place that was always burning with fire and later became, I think, uh, referred to as Gehenna, just a place where all the waste was dumped in the city and all the burning was taking place. It's ordained of old. Yes, for the king it is prepared. He has made it deep and large. The pile thereof is fire and much wood. The breath of the Lord, like a stream of brimstone, does kindle it. So this is like an early reference in Isaiah to this lake of fire that the wicked will be thrown in. Here in Daniel 7, uh, Daniel the prophet writes, I beheld, and I beheld then because of the voice of the great words which the horn spoke. This is the beast. And he speaks great words of blasphemy. Excuse me, and, and Daniel heard this. And I beheld, even till the beast was slain, and his body destroyed. So there is an end to this beast, although at the time he seems invincible. And he was given to the burning flame. So again, there's this coherence in the Bible. Revelation is not just coming up with brand new things. John is seeing the fulfillment of all of these prophecies that are outstanding in the text. So Daniel, as well as Isaiah, Jeremiah, Zechariah, all these prophets have been prophesying of this time. And there's this just beautiful coherence with the Bible. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse. So again, he makes war with righteousness. Which sword proceeds out of his mouth? And all the fowls were filled with their flesh. So that's what he gathered the fowls and said, come, get ready. They, they really want to do this. They want to fight against the Lord. And he just slaughters them all. And so now the vultures can come in and the beasts of the field and they can have a, a feast. And, and here Ezekiel says, And you, son of man, thus says the Lord God, speak unto every feathered fowl and to every beast of the field. Assemble yourselves, come, gather yourselves, and every side for my sacrifice, even a great sacrifice. So this is the same thing we saw earlier with Ezekiel. He says here, you shall eat the flesh of the mighty. So these birds will eat the flesh of the mighty and drink the blood of the princes of the earth, of rams, of lambs, and of goats and bullocks, all of them fatlings of Basham. And you shall eat fat till you are full, and drink blood till you're drunk, and it's going to be that much slaughter of my sacrifice which I have sacrificed for you. Thus shall you be filled at my table with horses and chariots, with mighty men, with all men of war, says the Lord God. God is serious. And he has been patient, and his wrath has been building. And he is going to furiously strike the wicked. And there's going to be much, much slaughter. And this is what God wants us to see and understand, so that we endure to the end. And we will not be deceived. And so that ends chapter 19. Uh, we'll just sort of round this out with the first part of 20, uh, which we will then continue next week. But remember, there are three forces here. There are, there's the beast, and there's the false prophet, but there's also the dragon. And it's the dragon that's been given his power to the beast and the false prophet. So we saw the beast and the false prophet thrown into the lake of fire, and now in the first part of 20, and I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold on the dragon that old serpent which is the devil and satan so he takes us all the way back to genesis remember that ancient serpent that deceived eve and and, and uh, overtook adam that serpent and he's just been active ever since and now finally christ acts slays his puppets and now this angel comes and lays hold on the dragon that old serpent which is the devil and satan and bound him a thousand years so it's over for the beast 
It's over for the false prophet, but it's not over for Satan. He's taken out of the way for a thousand years, but it's not over for him yet. And cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him. So now he cannot get out that he should deceive the nations no more. So now God can finally deal with the nations without this deception. They're going to see that God has a covenant people and they're going to come and serve God's covenant people. And they're going to do so happily because the, the, the deception is now lifted. And so, and Christ is here on earth. And finally, the earth is going to be under God's guidance. Satan is going to be taken out of the way. He's not able to deceive the nations anymore for a thousand years. It says, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, this is why Satan is not dealt with completely yet, because he still has a purpose. And we'll talk about this next week. After the thousand years, he must be loosed a little season. It's necessary. It's a requirement. So we can't get rid of Satan yet because it's required that after a thousand years, he's given another little season. And we'll talk about that uh, next week. So here what we've seen now in, in, in chapter 19 is uh, that the bride of Christ is ready. She's, she's washed her clothes in the blood of the Lamb. She's, she's ready to receive uh, her husband. And Christ comes destroying the wicked. He comes and there's this massive uh, battle with the army of the beast and Christ's army. And he completely crushes the beast, completely vanquishes the beast. And the fowls of the air and the beasts of the field can have a field day. They, they can have a great feast when this beast is finally crushed. He's thrown into the lake of fire. The false prophet is thrown into the lake of fire. All these armies that followed him are in the lake of fire. They're, they're, they're all uh, vanquished. And what's left now is Satan. And Satan is now arrested and he's put in this pit but he's not completely vanquished because god still has a use for him and that use will come after a thousand years and we'll see that next week this this is finally it this is what we're we've been yearning for for god to take control of the earth and to establish righteousness in the earth and that's what we're going to see when we study revelation chapter 20. god is king Jesus Christ is Lord, and we long for these days to be fulfilled. And here we see it all in symbolic form, but the day is coming when it's going to happen literally. And that's what we look forward to.